this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? Welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, a Patreon-exclusive podcast for GeekyGirlExperience.com. I'm Hope Molinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, when Dipper tries to impress Wendy by acting older than he really is, he's invited to join a group of teenagers on an outing that leads to an old abandoned convenience store that may be haunted. We're talking about Gravity Falls, the inconvenient inconveniencing this week. I always want to call it the inconvincing, the inconvincing, but it's the inconveniencing. The inconveniencing? Yeah, I always want to call it the inconveniencing, but it's the inconveniencing. How you doing, Chris? Good. I was very surprised when you told me last night that this was your favorite episode so far. It is so far. I like this one. I And I think the reason it took me off guard was I was thinking back to our J-Guys and Jedi episode, The Iron Squadron, with all the teenagers, and you were all like, Fuck these teenagers! Fuck these children! And I was like, oh, Chris, don't These teenagers are better than... These teenagers are better written and portrayed than than those teenagers. They're not as realistically portrayed as characters, but as teenagers, they're, they're a lot more relatable than the Iron Squadron, for sure. Yeah, I, so I was just like, huh, I'm, it really took me off guard to hear that this was your favorite. And I was like, oh, well, this is going to be a different episode than what I was considering when we record tomorrow. <laughs> they managed to use every, every like, type of annoying teenager, like, in, in the group without making any of them really annoying, except for maybe just, like, goth kid a little bit at the beginning. Oh, Robbie. <laughs> Robbie is definitely a fun character. I like Robbie a lot, so. <laughs> I like this episode. Again, there's no bad episode of Gravity Falls. I, this still probably wouldn't crack, like, my top 15 or anything. But I like it. It's 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 their first real tromp into horror, which is one of my notes. Um, they really get into, like, the horror for the first time in this series. Um, well, yeah, I- it's a van full of teenagers story. Yeah, and it's definitely a play on the teenage movie drama, like genre. Like, uh, like half the episode feels like uh, the like teenage summer comedy genre yeah. fix, and yeah, the other half feels set like up, introduce all the characters and show them hanging around their van, and everybody's having a good time. And there's montages, like rock music montages, and then it switches to like the teenage horror genre. So it's, it's a nice, like, mix of those two kind of, like, teenagery genres. And I, I really like that about this episode, now that I've killed one of my notes. <laughs> well, are you ready to get into this? Let's do it. All right. The Inconveniencing, I said it right this time, is the fifth episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on July 13, 2012. It was written by Alex Hirsch and Michael Rianda, and it was directed by Aaron Springer and Joe Pitt. The storyboard artists were Tyler Chen and Mark Garcia. Some background information for you. The voice of Robbie is TJ Miller. His other works include Big Hero 6, the How to Train Your Dragon franchise, and Silicon Valley. According to Alex Hirsch, when TJ Miller first saw the character design for Dipper, TJ's initial reaction was, he looks like a dork. I apologize if I butcher your name. Tambri is voiced by Jessica De Sisso. Her other works include Adventure Time, Over the Hedge, and The Loud House. Lee and Thompson are both voiced by Michael Rianda, the director of this episode. According to Alex Hirsch, the Lambie Lambie da- dance that Dipper performs is based on Michael's childhood experiences of being dressed up as a lamb by his sisters and being forced to dance. Nate is voiced by Scott Minville. His other works include Metal Gear Solid, Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go as the voice of Robin, and the new adventures of Johnny Quest as Johnny Quest. I loved the new adventures of Johnny Quest when I was a kid. Jesse Banner was like one of my first like strong female characters I ever saw. It was like her Sailor Moon and like Princess Sally Acorn and Julie Sue from Sonic Comics. Like those were like my four core original strong female women. I fucking loved that show <laughs> so much. Watched it a, a few years ago as an adult. Does not hold up <laughs> as an adult, but I loved it as a kid. 
The Ghost Paul is voiced by Ken Jenkins. His other works include Scrubs, Cougar Town, and Wise Guy. Ma, the ghost, is voiced by April Winchell. Her other works include Wander Over Yonder, the current run of DuckTales, and she is the official voice actor for Disney's Clarabelle Cal. After Mabel climbs the fence, she starts spinning on the ground saying, whoop, 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 whoop. This is a reference to the Three Stooges, as it's a thing that Curly did. Yep, right out of that, there goes one of my notes. <laughs> Mabel's hallucination of the ra- rainbow-spewing flying dolphin, Aoshima, is named after Gravity Falls director, John Aoshima. And, in this week's edition of Disney Plus's subtitles, Really Suck, they spelled Aoshima as Dioshiba. Dioshiba. <laughs> I was just like, come on, Disney Plus, your subtitles are horrible. In Thompson's car are the words written, you stink. It was going to be, you suck, but you suck couldn't make it past Disney's broadcast standards. I just kind of stopped and I was like, really, Disney? You can't say you suck? <laughs> and then I, I, was like, I was like, I swear I've heard you suck before on Disney Channel somewhere. Anyway, the three teenagers seen in the flashbacks are named Jeffy Fresh, Byron, and Rosie. They appear in various flashbacks throughout the show. The name of the haunted mini-mart, Dust to Dawn, is an allusion to the 1996 Quentin Tarantino movie, From Dust Till Dawn. There goes another one of my notes. Ah-ha-ha! And finally, Mabel twisting her head 180 degrees while being possessed by a ghost is referenced to the to a scene in the movie The Exorcist, in which a demon possessing a girl turns its head 180 degrees. And says, you're gonna die up there. <laughs> I will say when Mabel's possessed, her voice actor is the actor for Sheriff Blubs. I didn't note it because he's already been in the series, but I was just like, oh, Sheriff Blubs is voicing the evil ghost. Yay. Well, as always, we break this down into three parts. Part one will be story theme and characters. Part two is Chris's speculation corner. And part three will be our cipher corner and our connections to previous episodes. So, Chris, what was your favorite part of the episode? I had several. I had several, too. I had two in particular. Uh, I had two, actually. I had two also. And they were just little details. One was where Dipper flips his sister's hair up over her face. <laughs> and then she, and then it's it was it was just a nice little animation thing that was very that you don't it was something it was a phenomena that you don't see illustrated very often or happen but I've seen it in real life where someone's hair is over their face and their lips come out of their hair and just sort of go <laughs> It was just a nice little it was a nice little animation gag and it was very unique and funny and I liked you it. You want to know you want to know something cool that I forgot to note in earlier episodes, but I remembered this episode and I almost put it into the episode. So the theme song, the main theme title opening sequence was actually animated by James Baxter, like legendary animator. He was the one that animated the Beauty and the Beast ballroom scene, like and hand drew it all out. And that's why like the animation is so smooth and the title theme. Um, I just wanted to say that because I was like, I've been meaning to note this for like five weeks now. <laughs> I uh, keep forgetting. And my other part is the Lammy dance. And that's one of mine too. Because the funny thing is, when I when I was I was probably like ten years old, something like that. Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, maybe younger. I might have been eight or nine. It was around nineteen. It was around Star Wars coming out time that age, seventy seven ish, late seventies. And uh, we went to visit my cousins out in Denver, Colorado. One cousin was older than me. The other one was a year younger than me. But we had another cousin who was a toddler at that time. And her mother had made up a song called the Jammo song. The Jammo song? It was called Jammo Time, actually. So it was very close to Lammy Dance, but it was called Jammo Time. And I only heard that goddamn song once when I was eight or nine years old. I know every word to that song. It was so catchy. You gotta sing it now. You know I am. It's called Jammo Time. And it was and it, it, just before bedtime she would get my toddler niece in a frenzy and get her all psyched to get ready to go to bed. It would be a Jammo Time, Jammo Time. Yes it is your Jammo Time. Change your pants, change your diapers, change them right away. Hey! Jammo Time, Jammo Time, Jammo Time it is. Pull them up, zip them up, pull them up. Whoa, it's Jammo Time. Oh, that's so cute! I only heard it once. I know all the words to it. So that's... My aunt probably had a career as, a, as a, at least a jingle writer. Oh, that's really cute! And it worked, too. Oh, 
So everybody with toddlers, there's a trick for you. I I can't wait to edit this episode and listen to that again. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the preview that I use for this episode. <laughs> oh, jeez, okay. Yeah, let him figure that. Well, actually, yeah, it would go well with this episode, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lamy Dance is one of my two favorite parts, too. I It's just such a cute moment. And it's such a good moment, too, because, like, it, it's kind of a weird, like, dipper redemption because he's been lying the entire episode. And it's the point where he has to just kind of, like, own up to his mistakes and be like, all right, let me make this right because I've done, done nothing but lie the entire episode and I'm going to make this right right now. But it also ends up being a nice moment for Wendy as well because she sees it and she's like, oh, but she doesn't like judge him for it. She's like, yeah, this is awesome. The Lammy well, Dance. And we see that earlier in the episode too because she was like, wow, the Lammy Dance. Was there like a tail and ears and stuff? Like she never made fun of him for it. And it's just, a, I, and that song is so fucking catchy. I get it stuck in my head every time I listen to this episode. Well, it was it was just good because it was like sort of like it had that theme of like the the longer that you drag out the lie, the more you have to sort of this the more humiliating it's going to be when you finally have to come. He couldn't just say I'm actually only eleven. He had to say I'm eleven. Now let me put on my lammy suit. <laughs> yeah. Do the lammy dance in front of everybody. That that's that was just a nice. Nice little tie, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm no- that's a really good point because, like, when you do get caught in a lie, it is humiliating, and it's a nice allegory for, like, you know, of Dipper's humiliation. But it's done in a way that it actually saves the day, and it's showing that telling the truth is actually heroic, even though he's in a lamb costume. <laughs> well, he proved it at the at the top of the episode that he's still, even though he's a kid, he's still cool and still can hang with the older kids. But in the end, he had to be honest about it. You know, he had to be honest, and and really, he got him into the. That's how he impressed him by getting into the getting him into the store, and he's the one who got him out too. By at first, by pretending to be a teenager, and then to finally owning up to his to that's, the truth. That's actually one of my notes. So I'm going to go ahead and address that now. I like that the teenagers were okay with them just being themselves. Because Mabel never stops being herself. She is just being Mabel the whole time, and they're absolutely fine with it. While Dipper lies the entire episodes, and we see him rise and fall and rise and fall among the kids. Because he's okay on his own when he's with Wendy. When he's just being himself in front of Wendy, like, she's fine. She totally accepts him, and everybody accepts Mabel for being herself. But because he lies is why he struggles so much. And it's I, I really liked the teenagers being able to see that, that... They would have been okay if Dipper was just being himself, but the fact that he lies is what makes them call him out on it. Yeah, and at the end, he also saved him, most of them from horrible fates worse than death, than death too, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, and then my other favorite part of this episode was the black and white period piece old lady movie channel. <laughs> yeah, Grunkle stands like, just he just gets one gag in this show, basically. That he sees a movie that he hates, then by the end of it, he's in love with it. I just love the the whole the 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 great gag with that was while the music's playing and then he's watching he's like oh no no and then it just says gowns by people and he's like no <laughs> I I just love all the gags there's just for one the name black and white period piece old lady movie channel that's such a great name <laughs> and it's so true it's such a weird but it's such a weird like reference that 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 reference is just so str- it, it, it like it's natural to me because I'm old and he's got an old TV. That's like what happens when you live like in the old days when you used to live out in the middle of nowhere and you know you had one TV station, so he's forced to watch that movie. But they obviously have cable because it's the you know it's the boring period piece movie channel. So it's, you know, a cable channel. So it's it's weird because he's choosing to watch it, which that adds a sort of more humor to it, too, where he's sort of like in self-denial that he likes period piece gown movies. The whole thing is just that he did. He was too lazy to find the remote, so he forced himself to watch it. I think it was extra funny because, like, my dad always watches a channel called MeTV, and it's just old shows like Andy Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy mm-hmm. Griffin, like, Gomer Pyle, and he watches it repeatedly, and so every time I see this, I'm just like, it's like my dad watching Andy Griffith for the 50th time. <laughs> but I, I just, I love all the little gags, like, 
You had your chance at the cotillion, you. <laughs> That's what I told you. That's what so, I'm saying here. All right. Well, let's get into some of the, the story and the themes and the characters of this episode. I already talked about how I liked how I was a riff on all teenage genre movies. I want to talk about the teenagers as a whole. A lot of my notes are in reference to them. I like that they write the teenagers actually being teenagers and being teenagery and just doing dumb teenage things like punching the roof of a car. I did that when I was a teenager and just doing dumb stuff to your friends like holding Thompson upside down and trying to... Well, here's the thing, though. Thompson totally reminded me of my friend Scott McGregor in high school. He was the kid with the car and he would be like, come on, guys, don't mess up my car this time. And, And people would like... People wouldn't put ice in his butt, but they would do similar things. And it, the the dynamic of it was very... It was sort of stereotype teenage dynamics, but these kids could have been like Iron Squadron, really just sort of like... Explain, Please explain Iron Squadron for anybody who hasn't uh, listened to Jagas and Jedi. They, they were a group of teenagers in a, in a Star Wars Rebels episode that, that had formed their own little like fighting unit. And they were all just sort of a, you know, one of them, they were all rebellious and they didn't listen to anybody and they were just, but they were, they were just very jerky teenagers. Like teenagers can, are, teenagers are annoying. I was an annoying teenager, but the, the, they were just frustrating in the show because they were just sort of like these sharp drawn, they weren't, they didn't feel like real characters. Yeah, and, they felt like, like I think we explained it, like, this is written by adults who never met a teenager who are writing teenagers, but they never met one before, so it's what they think teenagers are like. I think that's what we said. <laughs> I think one thing that helps in here is um, Wendy's a likable character. Mm-hmm. So if she's going to have a group of friends, they can be annoying, but they got to be likable because they, they're her friends. So you would think that somebody like her would probably have a... a they all have their foibles, but they're all generally, and they, they, you know, they're drawn very broadly. You know, there's the one girl who's just looking into her phone and stuff. But the way their their dynamics are portrayed, they're never completely stereotyped all the time. They have moments of reacting normally and stuff. And generally, like even the 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 most annoying characters, by the end of them, you, you sort of like all these people. They're all care. Uh, that's maybe one of the reasons I like the show is it introduced a whole bunch more characters that were all fairly interesting and likable and would be welcome showing up more in the show. You know, I have you know, I imagine they will. And for me, like I find them very relatable because a lot of their antics were stuff that I did when I was a teenager. What, one thing that just kept coming to mind in particular, I remember sitting with my group of friends in the lunchroom in, the ca- in my cafeteria in high school, and we had dared my friend, I won't use his name, <laughs> we dared my friend to take a shot of soy sauce with hot sauce and wasabi in it. And he took the shot and he immediately turned and just started puking into a trash can. But the entire time we were just like, yeah, yeah, Yay! yeah, yeah. And he... <laughs> He pukes his brains out. It's coming out of his nose. And finally, when he's done puking, he just sits up and he just puts his hands up above his head like, yeah! <laughs> it's like, we did stupid shit like this when I was in high school. Yep. This was me and my friends. We used to do dumb shit all the time. Well, there's and- an added flavor to this of, of small town group of kids, which are different than city kids. I mean, teenagers are the same, but there's a different dynamic. In, and I mean, I was a country kid teenager. This reminds me more... What one kid has the car and he's their their source to get anywhere. I was the oldest in my friend group, so I was the kid with the car. Yeah, very important component of the teenage gang. Yeah. (laughs) Especially out in the country. Oh, yeah. I I will never forget the time that, like, when Kingdom Hearts 2 came out and I was the only one with a car, so a bunch of us just crammed into my car right after school and we drove to... Um, the mall to pick up all of our copies of Kingdom Hearts and I had a tiny little Honda Civic with like six people crammed into it including myself <laughs> arms and legs sticking out the windows yep. and, and we drove as fast as we could to pick up Kingdom Hearts too because I was the only one with a car and uh, because if I was born four days earlier I would have been a great up but I missed the cutoff by four days so therefore I was the oldest one in my <laughs> in, in my group of friends I also like the teenagers because they strike a really nice balance between the two kids being Dipper and Mabel and all of the adults in the show because we haven't really, outside of Wendy, we haven't really seen a lot of teenagers. And I I like that kind of balance because they do have a bit more maturity, 
but not enough maturity to where like they wouldn't break into a convenience store and run amok. But they strike that nice balance that like they are more of I don't want to say adult figures, but they do have kind of a slightly higher status because they are older than Dipper and Mabel, so they have that kind of status above them. But they're, they're not bigger as, and they got cars. <laughs> yeah, and they're but they're not as like they, they don't have the responsibilities of, like, Stan or Suze or even the other adults we've seen in the show, like, like Lazy Susan or anything like that. And I like that balance. Outside of media made specifically for teens, how often do we see really well-written teenagers in shows? That's not shows made for teens. Yeah, there's usually the, no reason for it, they seem, so they're just usually just stereotypes. Yeah, like, I remember when I used to watch Once Upon a Time, it dawned on me, like, season three, that we, we had never seen a teenager in the show until Henry became a teenager. And I was like, where are his friends? Where are the other teenagers? There are kids in this show, and there are adults in this show, but there are no teenagers in this show. Where are they? And, like, I can only think of a couple shows off the top of my head that are, like, made for adults that have really well-written teenagers. And I the only thing I could think of was, like, the current run of One Day at a Time and Modern Family. And then, like, I started just kind of thinking, I, I hear Blackish is really good, but I haven't watched it yet. But there's no, really not a lot of shows made that have well written teenagers that are not made for teens. I find it shows for adults, like, a lot of the times they write the teenagers as either too shallow uh, stereotypes of teenagers, or they write them the total opposite extreme where they're like, super wise and and adult and mature and witty they're they're always like sort of step ahead of their parents and stuff and they're they're more you know they're very written and they're they're very adult they're you could tell that they were written by an adult for an adult to consume and go like ah yes the teens they are much wiser than we think that's how it's it's very very rare that somebody strikes i remember when the movie you ever seen fast times at ridgemont high I've seen bits and pieces of it because my sister would watch it and uh, I, I, I've seen bits and pieces of it. Fast Times at Ridgemont High was one of the first teen movies that really like had some like some people who look like teens in it and did things that teens did. If you watch if you ever get a chance to see see it, it's a it's a very amusing movie. I'd be really amused to see what the take of it for someone who didn't grow up in the 80s <laughs> was. But they do stuff like they smell things all the time. You know, they're just always picking up things and sm- just sort of absentmindedly smelling them and putting them down and smelling their armpits and just doing self-conscious teen things. And some of them even have pimples and stuff. It was it was jarring sort of at that time to see like actual teenagers. That, usually teenage movies, the average age of the teenagers in them were like 20 to 25. I always think of Glee where like the average age was like mid-20s. Right, Exactly. <laughs> What did you think of the monster of the week being the ghosts? I liked them. I was sort of thinking, oh man, when they had the two bodies on the ground, I was like, that's grisly. There, now there's been a murder in this show, you know? And I was thinking they were robbed or something from the two po- bodies. And it did look like an old mom and pop. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of grisly for this show. But like, it turned out they had heart attacks. I, I like the, the idea of having a haunted convenience store, obviously. I, I love that it's referring to Dusk Till Dawn, one of my favorite movies. I love that it's sort of referencing Twin Peaks, because there's evil convenience stores in Twin Peaks, too. I like this kind of step in this direction, because this is the first time Gravity Falls really goes into the horror genre. That disembodied brain and eyeballs is just nightmare fuel. <laughs> and there's... There's really not, like, there's sort of a twist to it, you know, when, when he figures out how to uh, appease the ghosts. But this one is different than the other ones, where all the other ones were sort of like, you think the boyfriend's a zombie, but he's a bunch of gnomes. There's the late creature, but it's really old man Wiggins in his, in his contraption. And, you know, everything is given a little bit of a, a little bit of a twist in your expectations of what they're dealing with. And this one, no, it's just like, they're ghosts. <laughs> it's a haunted convenience store and it's messing with everybody. It really pushes the boundaries. Like the first time, like the, the when Tambury gets torn in half, like I remember watching this for the first time and I was like, oh God. And then of course she appeared like seconds later in the TV and I was like, oh God. <laughs> 
but I yeah, 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 and like they're roasting one of them, like uh, turn one of them into a hot dog and start cooking him on the thing, you know. So it's like they're all they're all put in a position that's sort of like you're being sent to your doom, but they they obviously aren't gonna go there. And that's what I've always liked about Gravity Falls because they never shied away from being too. It's almost like Goosebumps, like the kids' books Goosebumps. Yeah, they're they're horror stories for kids, but they're never gonna be like really graphic and 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 scarring. Well, they 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 do some things in the they they do some things in this to blunt the horror of it a little bit. It's very bright in the convenience store. They keep it bright a lot of the times. When you see the brain, he's opening the door, and it's still the lights are on in the. It's dark in the, the cooler that he looks into and sees the brain and the eyes and stuff. It would be a lot more frightening to little kids if the convenience store was all dark and spooky and there was spooky music playing, but they play it a little more surreal. It's almost yeah. psychedelic in, in a way, the way they, when they disappear, they disappear in a color. I mean, th- th- this one has more like jokes for adults in it. It had the USA Today stand-in paper and the headlines were basically ads like a real usa um mabel in this one is on a psychedelic drug trip of sugar you know sugar is just (laughs) basically a drug is basically portrayed as her being on drugs and in this one i love uh, that image of her chewing on the dog's paw and she's just slowly chewing just like yeah yeah that's 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 lsd she's on not sugar (laughs) 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 just saying you you get spazzy from sugar but 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 they play it off like the do not buy they've been banned so they have some weird chemical in them that you're not you know they've got some reason that you weren't supposed to eat it that was a little edgy for it wasn't as edgy as uh like the mighty mouse cartoons where he used to snort magic powder out of a flower and get superpowers <laughs> yeah and that, that's a really good point about how they blunted it like when dipper sees the skeletons in the window but one of them is thompson and he's still dancing so it's just a dancing skeleton so it's kind of funny <laughs> yeah yeah no they, they they keep they keep an edge of humor on it too to make it not too scary for kids and i like when thompson gets stuck in the dancing machine and the machine's like you're a dancing machine he's like no you're a dancing machine and every time they like get captured and stuff they it's all jokes like one of them gets stuck in a, a fruit loops box and he's like i'm cuckoo for eating you but it's it reminds kind of me funny. of the, Twi- the twilight zone movie in the uh, with the little kid with psychic powers who can create his own reality that's sort of what he does to you know he puts them into the tv and stuff like turns one of them into a flower though i will say mabel's head turning back like backwards how did that not kill her <laughs> That's one of well, my how did, how did getting turned into a hot dog and put on the roaster not kill you either? So the, uh, yeah. I'm just writing it off to that. Like that, that, that is still a moment where I'm just like, okay, well, all the other ones are kind of being stuck in this kind of illusion world, but Mabel is still physically there, and they turn her head around, and I was just like, oh god. <laughs> well, well, I mean, the little girl in The Exorcist lived too. The next thing I have is actually about Wendy. Uh, this is the first time that we really get to spend time with Wendy and we get to know her a little bit more. And I like her in a lot of ways because Alex Hirsch created her to be the coolest person you ever know. And we have that opening where she's like, yeah, rooftop and stuff. And it's this secret base where they all can hang out. And she's seen, she's, she's kind of like the leader of the group because they're all just like, Wendy, yeah, Wendy's here. We can finally do stuff because now we have directions. And coming here is her plan. She's like, I have a great night, guys. A great night planned out. It's going to be awesome. So she's kind of, de- she's definitely the leader of this group. But it's also like, we get to see her as a leader, but she also knows like when to turn to Dipper when everything starts going crazy. And she knows to turn to Dipper and to trust him and his judgment. But I think that really the most telling part about Wendy's character in all this is her stepping up and keeping Dipper's secret about the Lammy dance. And they have the whole move where they like zip their lips and they have that little move there. And that's a really nice moment because she it shows and establishes that no matter what, she's going to be on Dipper's side and she's going to be Dipper's ally, even even to the point where she will keep that secret for him. So it's a really, really nice Wendy moment. I, and I like yeah. this episode finally establishing who she is. Well, it's also an acknowledgement from all of them that like he kind of saved their asses by doing it. They were all like scared out of their minds. So and he saved the day. So. Yeah, they shouldn't make fun of him for the Lammy dance. Well, they didn't Not know until him. they know him a lot m- better. Yeah, I mean, and they don't, you know, of course they don't know yeah. that he did the Lammy dance cuz after a while the Lammy dance becomes fair game because once you know somebody well enough, you can just say Lammy dance or whatever. 
and yeah, but he knows it's funny. <laughs> and this episode also introduced uh, Dipper's crush to Wendy, which was funny because we were just didn't you mention that last last episode? How yes, it was. It was remember it was wasn't it reversed last time with with Mabel had the had the crush or no yeah, Mabel Gideon. had the crush on her yeah yeah Gideon had the crush on her. But that's when we were discussing ages, and we were discussing Wendy's age, and we're like, yeah, I think she's a few years older than them, and yep, she sure is. Now we yeah, know. But I, I like how they presented Dipper's crush to Wendy as a foil to Mabel's, how Mabel handles boy-crazy crushes. Because from episode one, when, to quote you, you said specifically that Mabel will throw herself at any warm living body. But I like seeing how Dipper goes about it. He's very in his head, which is very much in his character. Where, right. sorry, my Fitbit yelling at me, because apparently me shaking my hand counts as steps. <laughs> my Fitbit overlord. But, like, Mabel is, when she has crushes, it's very much how she handles things. She is just like, yeah, I'm excited, and I'm just going to go out there because this is who I am. I'm very sociable. But Dipper is not that way. He's very quiet, and he has to calculate things. And we've seen this from episode one. He's very much in his head. It's a nice foil for the two twins to see how they both approach this. And I like that no matter what, they're both still awkward, but they're still awkward in their own ways, which is very in character for both of them. Yeah, Mabel Mabel is it's all on the surface with her and yeah, Dipper Dipper is in his head and he's he's a second guesser. Mm-hmm. And personality or not, that's a fairly typical teenage <laughs> 11-year-old teenage boy reaction, especially to an older girl. Mm-hmm. It's a bit intimidating. It'll be interesting to see how it goes in the future now that he's sort of like carved out his space as as a, as a reasonable member of the team. Yeah. But that's all I had for this episode. Did you have anything else? I had one more note. Yeah, I, I just, I love the curly, another one of my notes that was stolen. The curly run. I love the <laughs> curly run. It's one of my favorite gags of all time when anybody uses it. When, when I was in a band, I used to use a curly run all the time. I cannot tell you how fun it is to curly run. You have to have the right kind of surface to do it. It's one of those things that it's easy to do, but it looks hard. If you ever, if you ever want to impress somebody, and you you go down on your side and just do the curly run, and you do it just like it looks, people will go, "Whoa, you know how to do that!" Like you just like started breakdancing or something. But when you do it, you can't just do it. You have to pump your arms and you have to go while you do it. Do you think? Because we were talking about this, I think, in the Gobblewonker episode, how they are never. They never treat Seuss like a fat guy, and they never go into those fat guy tropes or treat him that way, unless it's Stan, but Stan's unreliable anyway. We're not supposed right. to, like, always agree with Stan. Do you feel the same way with Thompson? No, they're, they definitely... Thompson's getting all the flack that they would usually give the Seuss character. I, I wonder, like, well, they're, they're probably going to turn up again, but there's I imagine there's going to be a point where... He has some moment where he's like, guys, cut it out. Because <laughs> he's obviously the whipping boy. And it's shown as being sort of a funny teen thing of them packing the ice in his ass and wrecking his mom's car. But <laughs> that's the sort of shit that like, I regret from my teenage years. But he's like the low man on the totem pole, so they all sort of treat him like that. So that's a realistic dynamic, but I can't see in a show like this at some point he won't be flushed out as more than that or have a moment where he's just like, you know, you guys got to stop putting ice in my butt crack or I'm going to kick your ass type of thing. Which usually does happen in those, at one point, the person who's sort of like the whipping boy of the group will be like, will you fucking lay off me? (laughs) Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, too, because I, I was thinking about that and how we were just saying how well it's done well it's done with Seuss. But I think it it is a good point to show the dynamics of the group in a way that Thompson, trying to go carefully so not to spoil you, um, I, I think it's done here realistically, where it's shown that Thompson... Being the big guy of the group is, it's not, you're not supposed to endorse them being mean to him. The same way that we're not supposed to endorse Stan at, Stan at times being mean to Seuss, you know? Well, that's, a, that's the thing is, if they were teenagers and you could endorse everything they did, you, they wouldn't be teenagers. Yeah, uh, and, we see, and we see that with Ma and Pa, like, 
they were more of an extreme version, but like because teenagers were being teenagers, it made them die and turn into vengeful ghosts. <laughs> That's true. My only other thing I didn't note that is when they turn on the lights and they're all eating all the food. How old is that food? It's there from the 90s. How is it not gross? Why are you eating it's, the food? Yeah, it's but it's it's convenience store food. So it's like I remember writing a story when I was in, in middle school about being trapped at like trapped in a New York like it was way in the future and like we had dug dug up a convenience store outside New York City and we were all living on these things called Twinkies that we found inside that were still delicious after <laughs> 800 years or whatever so that's what I'm basically they're basically like oh yeah the you know ding dongs aren't going bad I wouldn't wouldn't be using the slurpee machine anytime Twinkies. soon the Twinkies I understand but when Dipper and Wendy are eating ice cream I'm like why is that not soup like how is that not how is that still yeah. an ice cream bar? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Twinkies, Taking I Taking a little bit of artistic license on this one. But that's all I had for the story and the characters and the themes. Did you have anything else? I did not. All right. So now my favorite, my favorite section is your speculation and theories corner. Um, did you gleam any new speculations or theories from this episode? Just one. I think Mom, Ma and Pa Ghost are going to come back later on later seasons later on and and they'll be like how are we going to solve this situation and dipper is going to go wait a minute and he's going to put on the lamb suit and go like and and they they probably won't show it but he he might come running out of the trees with like a lamb suit on with mom pa behind him to help them out in a situation sometime i just get the feeling that we'll see that ma and pa will get used at some point in their relationship their their love of dipper and his lamb suit will get them out of trouble sometime okay this is more of a general for the show overall question, not about, like, the mysteries of the show. Just in general, how do you think that this group of teenagers or Wendy or Robbie are going to play just in the story in general, whether it's, like, to Dipper and Mabel's characters or just, you know, or, just, you know, as supporting characters, how do you think that they could be used or will be used um, in I, the remaining I of the show? I think they'll be used regularly and we'll just see glimpses of them here and there. And then every once in a while, we'll have a story involving them because they're good. They're, they're solid characters. There's a lot you can do with all those characters. So I can't see them just like using them for that one episode and then discarding them off their palette of characters. So I imagine they're going to get as it goes along, as these shows do, as further seasons go along, you, you'll see like them being integrated more and there might be some that like the actors more available or something that might end up being more focused upon or the characters more interesting and popular so they they put them in more or something like that but as soon as i saw them i'm like that's not the last we'll see of them they'll be they're going to be recurring characters i will say that you're right they are recurring characters yeah, <laughs> I, will, I will give you that one I mean, I mean, you can you you can sort of see the thought process in shows like this of how they how to set it up and stuff like that. So, and they're slowly you have a town, so you're just slowly working your audience into it. You know, you don't want to throw all the characters at them at once. Yeah, debating whether or not I want to ask you another question. Um, <laughs> I don't mind. I'm trying to phrase it in a way to where it's not going to tip you off to anything, though. Oh, I see. That's okay. that's the thing. I'm okay. Yeah, I would, I would, I would always err on not tipping me off. Yeah, I think I'm just going to leave it. Actually, I'm, I'm gonna, I am going to ask, and this goes back to what I was just asking <laughs> you. That's it's 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 a general question about about the show, not the bigger mysteries. How do you think that these characters will help impact Dipper and Mabel's story? Oh, Dipper and Mabel's? Yeah, because, you know, now you have these older kids for them to merge into. Do you think it's going to impact their story or their development at all? It should. I mean, it, it, it seems like this is going to be the They're going to be hanging out with an older crowd, which narratively could make sense because then you have people with cars and stuff like that. So I think it, it, it helps some structure being able to... It, it, it gives them a little Scooby-Doo aspect of it to where now they can travel around Gravity Falls and stuff like that. And I imagine the teenagers would be, I imagine, would be good foils for Uncle Stan. I keep wanting to call him Grunkle Rex, Grunkle Stan. There, there might be a lot of gags in that direction of 
Stan not liking them or or, or something like that. But uh, yeah, I, I think I mean hanging out with older kids also makes you act older. <laughs> yeah, I mean because hanging they... out with kids your old age and and the this frankly the stories would be more interesting in this context with them hanging out with kids their own age or, yeah. or older than the, older than them I mean than their own than their own age. It's it's moving them forward in age, you know. It makes them in a more transitional period, which is more interesting. I'm I'm gonna go us. ahead and, and tell you something that Alex Hirsch um has discussed multiple times with the show. And he said that a very big theme of this show is Dipper and Mabel are both twelve and they're tweens and they're they're not teens yet, but they're both twelve. And a big theme of this show is Dipper is trying to grow up really quickly. While Mabel is desperately trying to hold on to childhood no matter what. To me, I think that's where the teenagers work out really well because it gives mostly for Dipper like a chance to like prove and like try to reach that goal of being older than what he is in in this transitional time. Which is good also for Mabel in a way because she can just tag along and be herself. But it really sets up that dynamic of Dipper trying to grow up too fast while Mabel is trying to hold on to childhood, which is a running theme of this show. Well, it should be. They're tweens. Yeah, but that's all I have for the speculations. Did you have any other theories? Ah, no. Alright, so part three is the Cypher Corner and connections to previous episodes. This specific episode didn't have any connections to the episodes before it, but I will say there's a very specific moment in this episode that becomes very, very pivotal in season two. I won't say what the moment is, though, because I don't want to spoil Chris, but there is a specific moment that's very important <laughs> in this episode. Interest. It's not the lame hey, Interesting. Not the Lammy Dance. Okay. And finally, the cryptogram that appears at the end of this episode, when it's deciphered, reads, Onward, Aoshima! I do like Aoshima, the rainbow spewing dolphin. <laughs> that was some psychedelic. The, the psychedelic the fist was... sticking out of it, the human fists sticking out of it, and shooting it, rainbows. And splitting into multiple fists. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. I will say that's not the last time we see Aoshima, but I won't tell you how and why. <laughs> um, it was more adventure time, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, and I just find it so funny um, that they named it after the series, because I think this is one of the first episodes that's not directed by John Aoshima, and the fact that they were just like, let's name this after John. It'll be funny. <laughs> yeah. I like little jokes like that that they hide in the show. Cause there's a few of those where it's just the making dumb jokes. Like, there's a very famous example later on in the season, and, and I'll bring this up when we get to that episode, where uh, Dipper gets a flyer for a party, and on it it says the party is not S&P approved. And the whole joke behind that is Alex Hirsch originally wrote no parents at the party. And Disney came to him. He was like, they were like, what do you mean there's no parents at the party? What's going to happen? And Alex was like, I don't know. Like, they'll play games, maybe spin the bottle. And Disney was like, spin the bottle. That means they're kissing. You can't have that in a Disney show. So Alex actually sat down and watched like binge watch multiple Disney shows because he's like, there has to be a spin the bottle reference somewhere in the show. There has to be. And he couldn't find any. So originally he wrote, because S&P is uh, Standards and Practices, which right, is Disney right. censoring group. And so finally he was just like, you know what? He, I'm pissed off at these guys that they're being stupid. So he wrote, not S&P approved. And Disney was like, well, no one's going to get that joke, Alex. And he's like, well, is it wrong? And they're like, well, no. And he's like, and finally they sent him an email that said, S&P approves the S&P joke. <laughs> and he got it in just because he was pissed off at them. <laughs> I'll bring that up again when we get there, because it's one of my favorite behind-the-scenes jokes of, like, Alex Hirsch just fighting Disney, which he yeah. constantly getting, does. Getting stuff past Disney S&P has got to be tough, man. That's what I I'm mean, saying. He couldn't... Like, he can't even sneak the word sucks in on a, on a car seat in the background of a cartoon. Then, Although, we won't talk about the rescuers down under. What do you mean? Or Roger Rabbit, or who framed Roger Rabbit. What, what do you mean? You've never seen Hope? I know. Oh I, my God! There's no, no, no. I have. Well, rescuers I have, down. But I don't know what you're referring to. Rescuers down under. There's there was an infamous chase scene in it 
where you know the mice were being chased in like I think they were on a bird and they're flying through a city and somebody put a naked lady in the window of one of the backgrounds for it. I, I think it has been clipped out, obviously, now, but you can, I think you can still get VHS with it. And Roger Rabbit, Roger Rabbit has a full underwearless shot of Jessica Rabbit in it. When I she don't think what out. Roger Rabbit was made by Disney, was it? Roger Rabbit, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it might have mainly been Disney. Because and it was then, a big deal that they were able to use Mickey Mouse in it. Well, they used they used Disney. They used Warner Brothers. Hang on, you know I'm looking this up too. Hold on. I have I have the storybook of Roger Rabbit here, so it's got to say who owns this. Based on a motion picture from Walt Disney Pictures and Steven Spielberg. Oh, but it's technically Buena Vista in Touchstone. Right. So it's, it's not Disney. under the Disney umbrella. Yeah, it is. Buena Vista is. Huh. Hell yeah. Under, oh, the film was released through Disney's Touchstones Pictures, so dang. Yeah. Huh. So I'm telling you, there are, there are, there, there's Jessica Rabbit's hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-
No, I know your name is Heather. I think she's Spectre 8, and we've read some of her feedback on the show before. Okay, okay, I remember that. Yeah, I, I think her tag is Spectre 8. But hi, welcome, you guys. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for listening and supporting us, and I'm so happy you're all here. Well, that's all I have. Where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com, and that is our website. we got all our podcasts on there, just tons of them. You can sign up for them there or on iTunes. Uh, we are also on Facebook. you got the Two True Freaks podcast page on Facebook, where we also post all our podcasts and the Two True Freaks Cantina, which is more of a forum. And we are also on Twitter, and our Twitter feed is run by Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. Gene, Gene, the podcast machine. Do, 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 do. Gene, it, it's a J guys and Jedi joke, guys. Just roll with it. Yeah, yeah, Gene, you're just a J guys and Jedi joke, Gene. Guess it's just gonna be here. Just, just Gene accept. That, just accept, guys. Every time we mention Gene, we're gonna go do, 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 do. Gene. We I don't know are. why I'm addressing Gene. I don't see him on the patrons list, so. That's true. He's not Gene. You're not listening, Gene. If he ever gets on the Patreon list, he will listen to this because he'll binge all the episodes up to that one at like 20 times speed. We should bully him. Be like, Gene, we're talking about you on this Patreon, but on this <laughs> yeah, podcast, yeah, course, yeah. we're not, we're not going to tell you what we're saying. You just have to pay and listen. Gene just downloads every podcast into his brain like a giant mega computer. Well, you can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. Obviously, this is the Patreon podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. You can also find me on Twitter at Hope Molinex. I run our J Guys and Jedi account at J Guys and Jedi. And I also write fan fiction on Archive of Our Own under the name Chaos Lydia, where I write mostly Star Wars fanfics, but I have dabbled in anything, other things. Like I wrote a She-Ra piece for my patron Kate for her for Christmas. Okay, did I write it for you for Christmas? I think it was for Christmas. But I did write a piece on She-Ra for her. So yeah, I do dabble in other fandoms from time to time. So yeah. Hope's a dabbler. I am a dabbler. What are we talking about next week? Gravity Falls Season 1. Next week, or next time I should say, I always do this. Oh, one of my favorite episodes actually. <laughs> oh, good. I, it's not in like my top 10, but I really like this episode a lot. Next week, we will be watching Dipper versus Manliness. Oh, I thought the Lammy dance was kind of Dipper versus Manliness, but uh, well, we're going to take it a little further, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we will. We're gonna, <laughs> next time, we'll be definitely discussing toxic masculinity. Excellent. <laughs> All right, you guys. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Who wants the Lammy, Lammy, Lammy? I do. I do. Go and talk to your mammy, mammy, mammy. Hi there. Hi there. March, march, march through the daisies. Don't, don't, don't you forget about the baby. (laughs) I love that fucking song. (laughs) Oh, so good. So, so good. Hey, guys. Did you know that you were actually two months behind on Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, my patrons over on Patreon have access to more episodes of this show as well as behind-the-scenes content. Patreon is a great way for you to support this podcast and my website, Geeky Girl Experience, with multiple tiers of content that you can choose from. If you become a patron, you'll get your name shouted out in the episodes, as well as my never-ending gratitude. You can sign up today at www.patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time, and I love you guys. Bye.